Blog Talk Radio. My fellow Americans, Michelle and I have been so touched by all the well wishes that we've received over the past few weeks. But tonight, tonight it's my turn to say thanks. Whether we have seen eye to eye or rarely agreed at all, my conversations with you, the American people, in living rooms and in schools, farms, on factory floors, diners, and on distant military outposts. Those conversations are what have kept me honest and kept me inspired and kept me going. And every day I have learned from you. You made me a better president and you made me a better man. So I first came to Chicago when I was in my early 20s. And I was still trying to figure out who I was, still searching for a purpose in my life. And it was the neighborhood not far from here where I began working with church groups in the shadows of closed steel mills. It was on these streets where I witnessed the power of faith and the quiet dignity of working people in the face of struggle and loss. I can't do that. (laughs) Now, this is where I learned that change only happens when ordinary people get involved and they get engaged and they come together to demand it. After eight years as your president, I still believe that. And it's not just my belief. It's the beating heart of our American idea. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, a very special edition and a tearful farewell to our 44th president. Tonight we honor President Barack Obama for his years of service and for doing more than impacting a nation, but setting an example. Folks, hang on to your seats. We honor the 44th president of the United States as his last day in office comes to an end. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Hang on, we honor the president tonight. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams and the AJC radio team. And I'll tell you what, folks, tonight we give honor where honor is due. And President Barack Obama closes his two-term presidency tonight as they swear in the president-elect Donald Trump tomorrow. And I'll tell you what, tonight we show the accomplishments of this president the hard work of this president and the battles and challenges that he actually faced. You're going to hear some really good things tonight 
as we take a moment, as we should, to honor our 44th president, Mr. President Barack Obama, we say thank you tonight. And Lisa, this is going to be a good one. Uh, You can't help. You know, there's a lot of emotions in this country right now. And I'll tell you, there's a sense, I'm just going to put it out there, there's a sense of uncertainty and sadness with a lot of people to see the Obamas go. Yeah, you're right, Lamont. I think uh, a lot of it comes from the fact that you've had we've had a good president, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna. He's been here for eight years. You got used to him. He was a lot of fun. He was just he was a good president. And to see that that he's leaving, it's it's going to be a saddening thing for a lot of people. No, absolutely. Regardless of how they feel about uh, President Elect Trump, whether they like him or hate him, sure, it's gonna be it's gonna be the same thing when you see someone that's been doing a good job. Uh, you see them step away from their office. Well, what I noticed over the years, I remember seeing, you know, when the Bushes were going out, uh, it's, 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 the, it's the strangest thing and emotions that go through you. Even with, for me, at least, with President George Bush, when he went out, I thought he took a lot of flack uh, that he didn't deserve, in my opinion. Uh, no, there may be things you disagree or agree on with the president, an elected official, uh, but at the end of the day, you still feel for that person. Nobody can understand that seat that those presidents, all the presidents that come before President Obama, President-elect Trump, nobody understands the pressure of that seat. Uh, and I learned, you know, honestly, watching some uh, doc- news documentaries on, on both of the Bush presidents that were there and what they went through, making those tough decisions, it, it really gave me a different perspective on the presidency and to respect that office because everybody says they can do it better. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Standby is, is, is what, what, what comes from that. Yeah, and you know, any, if you have a sense of patriotism, if you, you care anything about your country, if you care anything about the office, you know, if you respect the office at all, there's going to be a, a, a sense of, you know, Democrat, Republican, Independent. There's a sense of, okay, here's a person who represented America to the entire world for the last, especially with a two-term president, for the last eight years. This has been my representative to the entire world, uh, you know, especially when a president does a good job. You look and you see and you say, hey, we're, we're, we're leaving an era. You're talking about the first uh, African-American president, the, the, the first president to, um, you know, make health care for every citizen of the U.S. Those things are there's going to be, you know, some emotional attachment. And, you know, we'll we'll uh, see if that statement stands true in, in four years. But. Uh, you know, as many presidents that I have seen, there's always something that you feel when a president goes out that, man, there, there is the commander in chief uh, leaving the White House. And now it's time for someone else to take the reins and uh, hopefully do a good job. Oh, no, absolutely. And you're talking about a humbling experience. Whether you want to be humbled or not, that office is going to bring a level of humility. Uh, and every president that's gone in when they went in, you say it every time when they leave out. Uh, they're dealing with a lot of white hair and a lot of things. And, and you know, Trump has the blonde look now, but I don't know what happens uh, when, that, uh, when that ends up. I'm telling you, the pressure of that office, you can talk whatever you want to say. When you get in that office, that's a, that's a whole other ballgame. Dennis, your thoughts? As I believe President Obama really did a lot for the military, uh, did a lot to honor his word. We're going to hear from him in, in some clips that we have prepared for tonight. Your thoughts as you see President Obama go out, uh, what are your thoughts of this entire feeling right now in this nation? Well, right now, I'm truly, uh, I know for a fact that I'll miss him. 
he has done a lot for our military and for the veterans. Uh, uh, a lot of times, you know, you know, the the other side try to make it look as though he didn't do much, but I tell you, uh, there was times that we even under the Republicans we didn't get uh, raises, but he did uh, do what he could do to give us raises, and and I tell you, we're gonna miss him. And then the uncertainty uh, when you're you got a new president coming in, and you're so used to, uh, you know, a, I don't know if I'm using the right word, but it's just smooth. You know, everything right. was just smooth. You know, you didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, you know, stuff going on. It, it was his presidencies was very smooth, and and looking for and him leaving now, looking at uh, what's coming in. I, I mean, that 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 makes you think. You're hoping uh, sure. that you know we learned our lessons. We watched. Uh, and, and hopefully it'll be okay. But I tell you, I, I, I'm gonna miss it. Okay, William, your thoughts? Well, you know, I was I was listening to everyone's comments, and I, I think myself personally, you know, this is the first time we've had a president that we, we could really relate to. You know, African American community could really relate to and actually uh, feel like you're connected to somebody. And he was actually someone that uh, I, the only other president I could think of like him was Clinton, that actually appealed also to a lo- younger yeah. gen- generation. So. They really reached out and was, and was really trying to wrap their arms around us as a whole and not try to deal with one demographic or the other. So, you know, when you when you can relate to someone, you build a bond, you look you look to them and, and you know, he became the face of us. He became the face of hope. He became the face of our country, uh, like you said, and a lot of people, uh, world leaders embraced him and loved him. And so. You know, when we wake up Saturday morning, it's going to be um, it's going to be a little sad. Um, well, it's actually tomorrow. Well, morning. tomorrow morning. Uh, sorry, uh, you know, yeah, he's done. Uh, so yeah, when we wake up tomorrow morning, uh, we'll welcome in the president elect. He'll be sworn in, and uh, we'll say goodbye to Barack Obama and um, President Barack Obama. And it will be it'll be kind of sad. It'll be sad to watch that transition. I mean, they were very likable family, uh, and you know, it was just so many good things about them. No, absolutely. And uh, folks, feel free to dial in your thoughts on President Barack Obama as his last night in the White House is tonight. Uh, feel free to call 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. And Lisa, the disclaimer for our people uh, as we get ready to go forward uh, with this program. Yes. Uh, none of us at AJC Radio are lawyers and we do not provide legal advice. Although we go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a lawyer if you want legal advice. In this time of misinformation, government-controlled media, and government corruption, it's sometimes hard to get to the truth, but we must try. It's not our intention to libel or discriminate against anyone, and the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. We know that you have many choices in radio stations, and as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend a little of your evening with us. And we appreciate that. Uh, and folks, again, feel free to dial in uh, and uh, do what you can to be a part of what's your thoughts of, of our uh, of our president, all that he has done uh, for this country it has been a lot. You're going to hear a lot of those uh, conversations tonight uh, as we have prepared the show to honor uh, our commander in chief, uh, the president of the people. And uh, we're going to definitely get into that right now. The weather in Colorado Springs. 50 degrees was the high today, and uh, not normal here, pushing up against February in about 10 days, uh, 50 degrees. Also 50 degrees in Washington, D.C. today. Uh, what's going on? 
Hopefully that's a sign of something, some things good to come. We're coming right back on the other side of the break. We honor President Barack Obama, his last night on Pennsylvania Avenue. We're coming right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. Our criminal justice system is really violating our values as a people. Uh, we are as a nation have this land of the free, uh, this nation that, that uh, savors liberty and those ideals really that were lights into the globe uh, now incarcerates more human beings than any other nation on the planet. Like any system, it always needs refining adjustments, and I think that's where we are now. Um, as far as policing is concerned, I think policing in America has done a very effective job over the last uh, two decades because crime is down. Crime is down significantly throughout the country, with some exceptions. Um, and I attribute that to smarter policing, better policing, more effective policing, proactive policing. Policing is in some sense a victim of its own success in the following sense. And that is that crime rates have plummeted in the last 30 years. At the same time, public support, public trust, um, public confidence in policing over the same time period has remained flat. The public actually cares a great deal more about how they are treated uh, by public authorities, legal authorities, than they care about the effectiveness of police. My first experience getting uh, hit with tear gas and rubber bullets was on August the 12th, uh, which really radicalized me in a way to want to pursue uh, reform efforts, not only just in Ferguson, but all throughout St. Louis and the entire country. Because, you know, the experience of getting tear gas and hit with rubber bullets was so unbelievable. You know, I, I couldn't imagine something like that could happen in modern day America. If your intention is to, you know, jail massive numbers of people, if you believe that, you know, our prison uh, is an effective means of dealing with the myriad uh, social needs of the African-American community, then, then, then it's pretty effective. Now, I know no one would come out and say something like that. You know, that, that sounds insane. Um, but in fact, there's a long history in this country of dealing uh, with problems in the African-American community through criminal justice system, criminalizing social problems in a way that we don't do in other communities. There are about 140,000 people uh, in the United States who are serving life without parole sentences. The number of people serving life without parole sentences in Western Europe is 12. These very long sentences uh, that are being served is a very unusual feature of American criminal justice. They serve very little public safety effect. Really good study shows that we'd have probably 20% less poverty in the United States if we weren't over-incarcerating at the rate that we are because it has such an impact on people's future earnings when they get out of prison, has an impact on their children uh, and their overall quality of life uh, for their families. But in addition to all that, 
uh, it is uh, disproportionately punishing minorities in this country as well. There's no difference between blacks and whites for using drugs or even dealing drugs, but yet African-Americans are about almost four times more likely to be arrested for that. Well, I, I think our criminal justice system um, is working as intended. Um, it is only broken to the extent that our, our society is broken. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Tonight, AJC Radio salutes our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama, for his service, his years of service, and what he's done to impact this nation. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams. Tonight is one of those nights that messes with the emotion and the patriotic spirit of America. As we see and observe a leader who's led us for the last eight years. President Obama sent a mass amount of emails to the American people today. And this is what he had to say. My fellow Americans, it's a long-standing tradition for the sitting president of the United States to leave a parting letter in the Oval Office for the American elected to take his or her place. It's a letter meant to share what we know, what we've learned, and what small wisdom may help our successor bear the great responsibility that comes with the highest office in our land and the leadership of the free world. But before I leave my note for our 45th president, I wanted to say one final thank you for the honor of serving as your 44th. Because all that I've learned in my time in office, I've learned from you. You made me a better president. You made me a better man. Throughout these eight years, you have been the source of goodness, resilience, and hope from which I've pulled strength. I've seen neighbors and communities take care of each other during the worst economic crisis of our lifetimes. I have mourned with the grieving families searching for answers and found grace in a Charleston church. I've taken heart from the hope of young graduates and our newest military officers. I've seen our scientists help a paralyzed man regain his sense of touch, and wounded warriors once given up for dead walk again. I've seen Americans whose lives have been saved because they finally have access to medical care, and families whose lives have been changed because of their marriages are recognized as equal to our own. 
I've seen you, the American people, in all your decency, determination, good humor, and kindness. And in your daily acts of citizenship, I've seen our future unfolding. All of us, regardless of party, should throw ourselves into that work, the joyous work of citizenship, not just when there's an election, not just when our own narrow interest is at stake, but over the full span of a lifetime. I'll be right there with you every step of the way. In closing, and when there are, when there are of progress seems low, arc of progress seems to drop. Remember, America is not the project of any one person. The single most powerful word in our democracy in the word is the word we. We the people, we shall overcome. Yes, we can, President Barack Obama. Dennis, when you hear that come from our commander-in-chief, he is going through emotions of saying goodbye. I mean, the, the, the burden of a nation is on his shoulders. Your thoughts? When you hold the highest office in the United States of America and you truly believe in what you do and you truly believe that you are a servant uh, to the American people, the American citizens, it's hard. It's hard when you got to let go. It's hard when you got to say goodbye. And I tell you, that speech was uh, it's awesome because it truly captured all, everything that he went through. It, it captured everything that he dealt with, dealt with as the president of the United States. And I tell you, uh, that, was, that, was, that was touching. I mean, I, I felt that because it was sincere and true. And it was, a, it was truly just let the people know, yeah, uh, you guys will uh, miss me, but I'm going to miss you more because truly he enjoyed what he was doing. That's, and I think that's true. I think uh, one other thing about that speech was he, never, he was not putting down his office. And he was not putting down his responsibility. He, under, he understood also during these times as we're facing this transition and the uncertainty of our country they, that he still has a responsibility to instill hope because people were, are looking to him. I mean even the chant during his farewell speech was like four more years, four more years. And, they, and even, we can't, even though we can't do it, the chant is about hope. You know, they're hoping that not only his legacy continues, his influence continues, his responsibility, his insight, you know, everything that he's done for the past eight years can continue on. So people can hold on to that hope as we start to transition. So I think, you know, I was a lot in that speech um, and I hadn't heard or felt a speech like that. It was almost one of the things you you almost had to glad, grab the Kleenex box because it was going to bring tears to your eyes. Yeah, and, and it, it's just one of those moments uh, that our country is at a point of, of, of decision. We're at a crossroad right now in that transition of power. Tell a little bit about a 10-year-old boy named Ian who had a thank you to say to the president. But before that, we see the challenges that Obama faced. Every president inherits challenges. Few have faced so many. Four years later, our enemies have been brought to justice. Our heroes are coming home. Assembly lines are humming again. There are still challenges to meet. Children to educate, 
a middle class to rebuild. But the last thing we should do is turn back now. Dear Mr. President, my name is Ian. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am 10 years old. I really hope that I can meet you someday because I would like to shake your hand and thank you for bringing my dad home from Iraq. Four years ago, I promised to end the war in Iraq, and we did. I said we'd wind down the war in Afghanistan, and we are. My dad served two tours in Iraq. His time away was really hard for me. This is a note that my dad sent. My dearest Ian, son, I miss you so much. I'm fine. I had trouble sleeping sometimes because I was so worried about him. He gave me his dog tags before he left, and I kept them with me all the time so that I can feel close to him. Every time I meet a spouse who says, you know what, you promised to bring my husband or my wife back from Iraq, and they're back now. Every time I, I see that happen, I'm reminded of the progress that we've made. Because you ended the Iraq war, I have my dad back safe. Say hi, Daddy. Now I get to spend birthdays and holidays with my dad, and we can do all the things I have missed out on while he was away. Roger. You're the reason why. Those who fought so bravely for us can come back and hear those two amazing words, welcome home. You are the reason that happened. Mr. President, my dad is my hero. So are you. on this one this is a young boy who is moved wrote a letter to President Obama and President Obama took the time to meet this young man when you hear that exchange his dad's home his dad is there for birthdays and holidays and all the things that they met and Obama's right there telling the young boy hey take care of your mom look after your mom do these things this is commander-in-chief of the, of the United States of America. And when you hear that soldier coming home, Dennis, and the fact that the president honored his word, a lot of people don't honor what they say on the campaign trail. President Obama has done that and, done, and has made every attempt to do that. Your thoughts on that exchange with that young boy and that soldier? Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, I, I truly felt that. That was that was truly heartfelt because uh, 
I did 20 years in the military, and I understand the difficulties our military face uh, constantly deploying, you know, back and forth. And uh, it was so awesome that he did that, that he bought our soldiers home. Uh, I understand we have an obligation uh, as as a country uh, to provide, you know, to, to police and to provide support, but it was so awesome to think about our, our military. Sometimes that's where we got to go. We got to think about the families and how they're affected. And that, that little child, when he wrote that letter, the president could do nothing but, which he was already in the process of doing, but say, wow, this, this truly, we, we truly need to bring our soldiers home. And, and we need to get them back with their families because I'm telling you, the families hurt the most. Uh, don't get me wrong. When I was deployed, we were taken care of over there. But when you when you're talking about the family at home, when there's when the, the when the, the breadwinner is not there, or when the the father or mother is not there, I mean they're truly missed. And for him to do that, that was just awesome. And and again, you said he kept true to his word, as true as he could keep, because you know we we still got a Congress and a Senate or, uh, that affects uh, uh, where our military go and where they remain. But I, I truly, 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 if I if I could meet him, I would say thank you because it's just awesome to really uh, take that much uh, clout in a, a little child's letter and make it so that that child understood that, oh, this is this this meant a lot. It was very important. And you heard the clip with uh, Morgan Freeman talking about the challenges that Obama faced, uh, President Obama faced. He faced many challenges. We're going to hear more about that a little later in the program, but his, his passion to be who he said he was uh, is something that makes a huge, huge difference. And I'll tell you that, that this is something that, that I think we need to really pay attention to. And you, you can go from the military, you can go to my brother's keeper initiative, you can go to race issues, inequality in our justice system, Sandy Hook health care, everything you can possibly think of that this president had to face uh, in crisis. And you never never saw him blink. He just continued to do his job. And that's something uh, that that needs to be definitely uh, pointed out. William, when you you hear that, your thoughts on the president, see, it's one thing to say, be a politician. But when you get down in the trenches with that little boy, and I remember seeing the president at the Sandy Hook press conference that he gave after that, those children, and the president was crying. He said, this makes me so mad. A president that can feel and understand the people that he leads. And that's what's important. This is his job. Yeah, that's what's important. I mean, you have to, you don't, you're not elected to sit in that seat to be, I guess, looked upon, you know, like you're so distant from the people that you're leading. You have to, you know, he, and that was one of the biggest things he did was reaching out to people saying, I'm one of you. Because of you, I'm here. And even in his speech, he said, because of you, you made me a better president. So when you, he goes down and he touches the life of this little boy, that boy will forever remember that. Forever remember that. And and to think about the fact that as a child, they hold on to hope. So the hope that his 
letter to the president about his father would actually come to life, and there he's standing looking at President Barack Obama. That will forever change that child and also all those that saw that event take place. Every time the president reaches out to touch somebody's life and says, I'm your president. I am here to represent you. I'm here to help make your life better through policies, procedures, laws. You know, all these are things that I really think, I really believe in my heart he understood because it was seen in all his actions and all his efforts. The best that he could, he fought for those that couldn't fight for themselves and needed a voice. And so, I mean, he will, he's, he's just a great person. No, and that's what you have. Uh, and Cliff, when you sit back and think about President Obama, uh, again, we have so much material over eight years what this man has done. And to impact, I don't remember, I remember George Bush uh, tearing up when he got the news about 9-11. Right. There is a culture within the presidency that is supposed to be comforter-in-chief as well. Exactly. Without leadership and without a commander-in-chief that can bring hope to a very dismal situation, then we as a nation are in trouble. We didn't have that problem with President Obama. Well, you have to have – your president has to have a, you know, a sense of connection with the people. He has to be able to touch and be touched by the people. Without that, you cannot, you can't be a good leader. And, you know, from the time that President Obama, you know, when he was doing community service or, uh, you know, community activism in Chicago, that is where he started. It was all about the people. It was all about, uh, you know, the children and how it could be better for them. I mean, uh, him growing up where he did, you know, uh, he grew up in, um, you know, in L.A. and spent part of his childhood, um, you know, where, where I think either um, Vietnam or Cam- Cambodia, I can't remember where his uh, his mother's second husband was from, but he saw poverty. He saw, um, you know, hurt and pain. And then when he came back to America, said, you know, I want to be able to, for my countrymen, to be able to, to lessen this pain. So when when he says, you know, every time you hear him say, I feel what you're going through. Or, you know, that he's about the people. You can't help but believe it because his entire life, that is what he has shown. You know, some some people uh, say, well, you know, he, he didn't have enough experience in politics. He didn't have enough experience being a politician. Well, it takes more uh, than being a politician to be a good president. And, and the number one thing that you have to have is compassion for other people. And you can see that President Obama has had that the entire time that he's been in the White House. No, without question. And uh I'll tell you what, President Obama's father was from Kenya, Africa, uh, and his job was herding goats. That's what it, so uh, President Obama didn't have a relationship with his dad. He was young when his dad actually ended up leaving Kenya. Uh, but I'll tell you what, as a young child, I believe these actions and what he saw and observed with it, you know, by his mother, uh, his father, molded a man that would one day become president. And come president and become president in a world where it was thought that would never happen in a, in a in a place in the United States no one ever thought 
to a point that that would ever happen. President Obama broke the mold and became the first African-American president uh, in our history. And that's to be applauded, given the history of this country with civil rights, with racism. And racism hasn't gone anywhere. No, it hasn't. It has been enhanced as a result. When President Obama took office, he's not the reason racism has been on the rise. Racism never left. That's true. It just was exposed through this presidency that when you can penetrate the White House quarters, living quarters of a president, never done in this country ever with any president, we know there's a problem with racism in this country. When the alarm system or the recording or the lights that are supposed to go off when someone enters the White House unannounced goes silent. We know there's a problem with racism in America. When people go out of their way to call our first lady a monkey in heels, and it's good she's gone, we have a problem with racism in America. We talk a little bit more, and we're going to get into that a little bit later as well, about the president and Sandy Hook. The children that died there, the president took a role in a position that shook a nation as he responded to this tragedy. Let's hear what he had to say. This afternoon, I spoke with Governor Malloy and FBI Director Mueller. I offered Governor Malloy my condolences on behalf of the nation and made it clear he will have every single resource that he needs to investigate this heinous crime, care for the victims, counsel their families. We've endured too many of these tragedies in the past few years. And each time I learn the news, I react not as a president, but as anybody else would, as a parent. And that was especially true today. I know there's not a parent in America who doesn't feel the same overwhelming grief that I do. The majority of those who died today were children. Uh, Beautiful little kids between the ages of 5 and 10 years old. They had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own. Among the fallen were also teachers, men and women who devoted their lives to helping our children fulfill their dreams. So our hearts are broken today. For the parents and grandparents, sisters and brothers of these little children and for the families of the adults who were lost. Our hearts are broken for the parents of the survivors as well. For as blessed as they are to have their children home tonight, they know that their children's innocence has been torn away from them too early. Well, 
there you have it. A president that is still in the pain of a nation. Um, I remember that press conference. And I'll tell you, folks, we salute President Barack Obama tonight for his service. Cliff, when you hear a president, I think sometimes we lose sight that they are parents. And I remember when Trayvon Martin lost his life, he said, that's me. That's my son or my daughter. I am Trayvon Martin. A senseless death, a senseless killing. And I think, Cliff, this is why I think there's a little bit of a cloud over the nation tonight. Whenever you say goodbye, goodbyes are never easy. I believe because of the impact and the caringness and the character of President Barack Obama, I think that speaks to why. And when you hear him address these parents and the quiet moment that you heard during that clip was President Obama wiping a tear from his eyes. How, how important is that clip as we, we try to go forward? Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sad, it's bittersweet because he, he did his job and he deserves to, uh, you know, he deserves to be able to go uh, retire as such from being the president and have that weight taken off his shoulder. But uh, when you have a president that, you know, felt the pain of the people, felt the need of the people that it it's a bittersweet moment because, I mean, we don't know what uh, what tomorrow brings, what the new administration brings. Uh, we can only, I guess, <laughs> assume, uh, you know, have our own opinion about it. But it, you, you know that you don't have a president tomorrow that you had in President Barack Obama. You don't have. I mean, they're they're different people, and and that's granted. But uh, yeah, you just it, it leaves you speechless because when you look back and you see, like, okay, this is a man that was touched. Just like he said, touched by the loss of children to parents. This is a man that, uh, you know, felt he he strove so hard to get, you know, the Affordable Care Act, also known as, Obama, known as Obamacare, because his mother could not get health insurance when she was dying of cancer. So everything that he does is because of what he uh, what he what he feels the the uh, the emotion, the pain that he knows that others are suffering, and that is something that you, you really need in a leader. If the leader doesn't feel, they cannot lead the people properly. And um, so, you know, it, it, yeah, it's a, it's a sad day, but I am, I am happy that he's going to get, you know, get his rest and uh, get his time off because he, he definitely did his job. Well, in 1985, President Barack Obama moved to Chicago where he got his start in community organizing on the city's south side. Make no mistake about it, this isn't Beverly Hills. Uh, President Barack Obama was on the south side of Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago and the south side, proceed with caution. And I'll tell you right now, President Obama came out of that situation. He said he was going to make an impact wherever he was, and he did. Tonight, AJC Radio shines the light on this very special edition as we say farewell to our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, 
Life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs I hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody, it'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the lights. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he took all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when they're in an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. 
If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion, for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720-305-2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. If you're from Chicago, you know what that song means. And tonight we honor President Barack Obama, who, as I said before going to break, moved to the south side of Chicago to make a difference and an impact the company before becoming commander-in-chief and before becoming Senator Barack Obama. And I'll tell you what, he has left his imprint without question on this nation. William, your thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, I don't know what, really what we can say about the president. I mean, he's, he's, he's done so many great things. And, I mean, it's just, he's just truly going to be missed. He's truly going to be missed. Um, you know, with the things that he has done, the, the impact he's made on people's lives from Obamacare to, you know, other bills and policies and legislation that he's done. He's just been a great president. Oh, and then again, he'll go down in history, I believe, as one of the greatest presidents uh, that rescued America, really, uh, Dennis, when you think about the economic collapse he was facing uh, when he came in. I'll tell you what, uh, President-elect Donald Trump does not have nearly the challenges facing him as a result of President Barack Obama doing his job and doing it well President-elect Donald Trump comes into a situation that he could actually build upon if he chose to do so. Um, and we're going to hear a little bit about the journey. Um, when Obama, President Barack Obama turned the tide of a situation that looked fatal. Let's hear that information. For the fifth straight month, the U.S. economy lost jobs, 324,000 so far this year. The meltdown in the mortgage industry. This is the biggest point drop that has, has ever been seen in a day. The worst financial collapse since the Great Depression. This is cataclysmic. American workers were laid off in numbers not seen in over three decades. Whoever wins in November is going to come into office in January facing a deep recession, facing trillions of new liabilities. This is a once-in-a-half century 
probably once in a century type of event. Today, I say to you that the challenges we face are real. They are serious and they are many. They will not be met easily or in a short span of time. But know this, America, they will be met. On the day Barack Obama took office, America had already lost 4.4 million jobs. An economic disaster, the worst in a generation. Some said America's best days were behind us. Unlike America, he dug deep, fought back, and never lost faith in our ability to meet the challenge. The president's stimulus plan saved up to 4.2 million jobs, including teachers, construction workers, police, and firefighters working to build a stronger America. And when a flagship of the American economy was going down, his auto rescue forced companies and workers to retool and restructure, saving 1.1 million jobs. Today, for the first time since 2004, all three U.S. automakers are operating at a profit. Don't bet against the American worker. And now, instead of losing jobs, we're gaining them. The first increase in manufacturing jobs in a decade. And over the last 25 months, 4.1 million new private sector jobs. And while there's still more to do, there's been real progress. Because President Obama never stopped believing in us and fighting for us. He took on the credit card companies, stopping unfair fees and hidden penalties. Took on the Wall Street banks too, fighting for tough new reforms to make sure they never again wreck our economy. He passed historic health reform, and now insurance companies can't deny children coverage for pre-existing conditions. Seniors pay less for prescriptions. Contraception coverage guaranteed. And by 2016, 32 million more Americans will finally have health coverage. Wind and solar power has doubled, but that's not all. Middle-class taxes at historic lows. College loans, more affordable and easier to repay. Equal pay for women, protected by historic new law. Don't ask, don't tell, history. Hard work, determination, real results. But instead of working together to lift America up, Republicans were waging a campaign to tear the president down. Virtually every Republican has decided to just say no to anything the president proposes. Put me uh, in the no column. Vote no. Vote no. Republicans are getting a rap as the party of no. Yesterday in the end, not a single Republican voted for the bill, and apparently the relative merits of the legislation had little to do with it. Our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny President Obama a second term. And still, he persevered, here at home and as commander-in-chief. Over the last two years, you've seen a depletion of the senior bench for al-Qaeda. Anwar Awalaki has been killed. Another huge victory in the war on terror. And then there was the victory no one saw coming. As of NBC News Special Report. CNN Breaking News. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. This uh, is truly one of those moments people will remember where they were when they heard Osama bin Laden is dead. And now, the war in Iraq is over. For nearly nine years, 
our nation has been at war in Iraq. So as your Commander-in-Chief, and on behalf of a grateful nation, I'm proud to finally say these two words, welcome home. A promise kept by a president who understands America's promise, who understands America's greatness comes from a strong, secure middle class. That's the America President Obama believes in. And that's what he's fighting for every day. This is a make or break moment for the middle class and for all those who are fighting to get into the middle class. Because what's at stake is whether this will be a country where working people can earn enough to raise a family, build a modest savings, own a home, secure their retirement. I believe that this country succeeds when everyone gets a fair shot, when everyone does their fair share, when everyone plays by the same rules. And I believe America is on the way up. Thank you. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. Well, there you have it. Wow, wow, and wow again. You know, Cliff, when you sit and hear all of that, how does anyone step to a podium in front of a camera and say this president has done nothing. Cliff, how do we get, how do we get that? That is when you politics is disgusting. And those are the type of moments when you hear these are the things that this president accomplished and then to know that there are members of Congress and the uh you know in the opposing party that says, well, he was a deadbeat president or he was a lame duck president. The things that he didn't accomplish, anybody who looks can see that, okay, he was not allowed to accomplish them by the members of the Republican Congress. For Mitch McConnell to say our biggest political goal is to ensure that he's a one-term president, not that the American people are satisfied with the bill, that the, uh, with the laws that we pass, that we ensure that there's legislature for, for health care, for, uh, you know, veterans benefits, for fair treatment, civil rights. That is not the biggest goal of, the, of, 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 uh, of what they were doing. The biggest goal was to ensure he was a one-term president, and then they continually, every bill he put in, and like the commentator said, it wasn't about the merits of the bill. Nope. It was about the fact that this president, we as the Republican Party, will not allow him to get credit for anything that seems good, and he still did. It, That's it, the case. It, it, the, the politics is what really, as an American, makes you say, you know what, this just really needs to change. And they the and the the politicians have been emboldened even when they're doing the wrong things, and that is what uh, what is extremely troubling about the American uh, political system because it trickles down to every other system. You're talking about justice, you're talking about uh, civil rights and advocacy for 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 everything and everybody. And when you have politics involved in that, it's uh you know it's a sad thing. No, without question. And uh, Dennis, you had a thought. 
Yeah, I was just as he was talking, I was thinking how you know on the show tonight we're we're all uh, saying how we're gonna miss the president, but uh, I could truly say for I can speak for America, and I will. Uh, they're all gonna miss the president because uh, when you hear the rhetoric uh, from the incoming, uh, uh, they're talking about building walls and. Uh, bringing back stop and frisk, uh, getting rid of Muslims, uh, uh, health care, repeal it, uh, so that, you know, those that have health care, you know, those that can't afford it won't get it. We're not the only ones that's going to miss this president. This president was about the American people. And regardless of color, regardless of background, regardless of how much money you made, it was about the people. And uh, so we're all going to miss him. But, you know, it's just a, a shout out to America. Uh, get ready. I mean, when you have such rhetoric as, as we're hearing today, it's going to be a big difference. And, and, and a lot of Americans will feel it. Uh, I was thinking about veterans, about PTSD, you know, all the different things that veterans are experiencing today. Because of Obama, because of the Affordable Care Act, you know, you have 42% more you know, veterans that had health care. So now you're talking about pulling that away. You're talking about making them get it on their own. Get yours. See, veterans, if they don't retire, they're just like everybody else. There's no TRICARE. They, they got to fend for themselves. If they got children, they got wives and husbands, hey, you got to get them here health care. So understand that when we go and we try to dismantle what this president has put Together to make this country as one whole and strong, you're going to have some serious problems. I just wanted to put that out there. No, without question. And ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. You can tell yourself, "Oh, we're going to—it's going to be business as usual." It is not. You're dealing with two totally different agendas, two totally different uh, visions for America. Uh, You are going to see, and they said it on CNN tonight. America is getting ready for an administration that we have not seen in this country, in the history of this country. It has never been seen on the likes of what we are going to see. Now, I'm not saying that's bad news or good news. I'm telling you, these are the facts. And we judge candidates and we judge presidents off of their campaign, off of what they say and what they do. We need to be mindful of that. And I'll tell you what, uh, President Obama, when you hear that, I mean, unemployment. And I had I heard a statement yesterday on CNN where they stated that, well, the unemployment numbers that show America's unemployment at an all-time low is really fake. <laughs> so those numbers are inflated. They're not really true. Are you kidding me? Wow. And when he goes into that clip, talking about the motor industry of America. All the major cars with a financial, I remember that. I mean, they were talking about, well, no, we don't need to bail these people out. If you lose the real estate, the home market, and the motor, uh, the, the car industry in America, the financial stability is gone, period. If people are not buying homes, People are not people are not going to banks. Yep, that's true. That's true. That's if true. I'm not buying a car, the 
The banks are not financing me a car. What are you doing to the economy? What are you doing to the workers? And he was ridiculed for that. He was told it was something that shouldn't happen, that this was a bad move, and it proved to be the right move. Because not only did the banks, uh, the financial institutions, the car uh, industry people, not only did they pay the loan back, they paid it with interest. And now the American car industry is number one in the world. Number not one. In, not in America. I'm talking about in the world. Now, now, that is a comeback that, see, the Republicans don't want to give President Obama credit. And, and let me not say all the Republicans, because as we have learned, there are some Republicans who will cross the aisle and say, you know, I'm going to work with the Democratic Party to get some things done. But there are those who say, you know, he's accomplished nothing. He shouldn't have done all this. Just like with the... Uh, the, uh, with Obamacare, the, affair, the Affordable um, you know, Health Act, when you look at the numbers this year, as they're saying, oh, the American people want uh, Obamacare repealed, you look at the numbers this year, more than 8.8 million people so far uh, this health insurance enrollment season have signed up for plans on the Obamacare marketplace that serves residents of 39 states. That is outpacing the number of planned selections seen at the same time uh, this time last year. Now, so the the numbers show that the tally is almost 100,000 people higher than the number of people who had signed up on the healthcare.gov website at this point last year. The higher rate of signups has continued even as Republicans in Congress and President-elect Trump about to repeal major parts of the federal of the Affordable Care Act. Now, if it's such a horrible system, if it's helping nobody, if if all it's doing is ripping health care away from people, uh, away from the American citizens, why is it that over 100,000 more people this year have continued to sign up? And this, oh, we're going to repeal and replace at the same time, that that is, you know, a bunch of crap. It's not even possible. It's not possible. The, the Republican Party has been working on something to replace Obamacare for eight years. Now, suddenly, the new administration is going to come in, and in the first 100 days, you're going to have something to replace that. that. That makes absolutely no sense. And to say, oh, we're going to do it simultaneously. Well, if that's the case, and it's so bad, why has it not been done in the last eight years? Because they don't have anything that's better. And the thing about President Obama, that makes him a president of the people, a president willing to say, hey, I might be a Democrat as a president, but I'm about the American people. He told the Republicans several times, put something better on my desk and I will sign it. And for eight years, they have not. Yep. Suddenly now. But they now have they have a, a perfect fix for it. This, this, uh, Democrats better be careful because I tell you, they're going to take that uh, affordable. I mean, uh, Republicans better be. Uh, well, let me take that back. I meant to say Democrats be careful because uh, if you look at it, uh, that the Affordable Care Act, all they're going to do is if he's talking about repealing and replace at one time, you, you're going to have the Affordable Care Act. You're just going to have a different name on it uh, that the, the Republicans, Republicans give it. So we have to be careful, make sure that what the president put in place, what, what we put in place for the American people, that the Republicans are not just going to try to jump on the bandwagon, steal it and say, hey, uh, this is what we put in place, because there's no way they're going to repeal and replace at the same time, it's not going to happen. It's not possible. No, it's, 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 it's not, not possible. possible. Yeah. And there are things in the law that cannot be reversed. That's what they're not right. getting. 
you cannot completely destroy. The, the highest court in the land deemed it to be law. So if you think you're just going to go in and gut, it out. and gut it, you may be able to change it. You may have to revive. You will not destroy the entire Affordable Care Act. Now, the risk they take is alienating. There are polls out right now that the majority of the American people said they believe the Affordable Care Act is something that is good. Yes, yes. Now, being politicians as they are, they don't want to shoot themselves in the foot in four years. Go ahead. Vice President Joe Biden said this. Go ahead and take Obamacare away and wait and see what happens. Well, the thing about it, the thing I I didn't like about it was, you know, they always put – Obamacare as a negative or Obama on anything as a negative. So, I mean, even we've seen here recently where um, people didn't know the difference between the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. They didn't realize it was the same thing because the the Republicans have basically coined this phrase as a bad thing. But it's not. Uh, But it's not. It's not. When you look at the fact that they are now able to get coverage on pre-existing conditions, which was they were not able to get before. I mean, we just saw uh, there was a, a town hall meeting with Paul Ryan, and the gentleman said he had long been uh, in opposition of Obamacare. He was a small business owner. He fell victim to a curable form of cancer, very curable, but because it was a pre-existing condition, he could not get insurance. But because of Obamacare, he got insurance, and he stood there in that CNN, CNN town hall meeting and said, I want to thank President Barack Obama. Giving me my life back, and he was he, a Republican. Yes, yeah, he was. You know, William, I saw that same I saw thing. That I was thinking was. about that, and he actually had said that he was. He had told his wife he was going to shut down his business before he uh, fell in line with with the, with the guidelines for Obamacare. He wasn't going to do it, but when he when it saved his life, he was asking Paul Ryan at that point, "Why would you pull this away when you don't have anything to replace it with? Why would you take it?" Well, you and you realize real quick. You realize real quick. This is the game. This is the shell game. Oh, we got something better. Like Cliff said, if you had something better, you would have you would have done it eight years ago. You could have done it seven years ago. You could have built on Obamacare. You could have right. built or added to if you felt like your constituents in your area needed a little bit more, needed something here. The bottom line is when this has come out, and I think what would you say was eight million the enrollment, something like that recently. Right. When you talk about that many people. You're impacting, and now you're going to yank the rug out from underneath them and say, you know, you once had coverage, now you don't have it. Yep. So now you had pre-existing conditions that that were now being treated, and now you ta- we, now we're saying, okay, now we can't treat you anymore. Well, the point is, is that President Obama had a fight from the beginning. These are these are part of the tough decisions that President Obama had to make throughout his presidency, but he did it, and I'll tell you what. This comes in, Americans favor Obamacare by a narrow 49 to 47%. The first time more people have supported the health care law than opposed it. That's as a result of a new CNN ORC poll. More people are supporting Obamacare right now. On the last night, President Obama will be in the White House, 49% say we favor Obamacare. And yet the new administration says we have to repeal it. 
it's well, unbelievable. Where, where's the sensibility <laughs> behind these things? See, that that's what gets me is it's not about what's best for the American people. It's just about what the party and, is and I destroying go, the and, uh, president's uh, legacy. Right. Well, when you make the statement, our most important agenda as the Republican leader in Congress, and you make a statement, our objective is not jobs for my district, not uh, gun control, not things that can save lives. Our goal is to make sure the president leaves after his first term. He should have been immediately voted out. Yes. In my yes. opinion, that's your objective and your vision? Wow. That, that, that's a big deal. But it's, let, let, Let's hear a little bit first when we get to that on the other side of this about the journey to health care, what Obama went through, and the tough decisions he has to make as a leader. A lot of people argued the politics were too costly. It'll be a cold day in hell before he socializes my country. Rahm Emanuel came to him and said, you're going to have to pull the bill because if you push this legislation, you will lose in 2012. He knew there'd be somewhere between 10 and 30 million people who would not get health insurance. Millions of people were being discriminated against by insurance companies. When you hear people more worried about the politics of it than what's right and what's wrong, I want you to think about the millions of people all across this country who are looking for some help. He's thinking to himself, if I decide not to push forward, what do I say to all those people who came up to me? with tears in their eyes telling me that they need this to save themselves. And if that means that I'm a one-term president, then I'm a one-term president. Nothing comes to the desk of the president of the United States unless it's almost impossible. And he has to figure it out. The most critical thing was, was he there? We never knew that for sure. The president turns to every principal in the room. What do you recommend I do? And they say, well, 49% chance he's there, 51. It's a close call, Mr. President. He said, all right, thank you. He said, I'll give you my decision in the morning. Don't I mean, he's all alone. This is his decision. If he was wrong, his presidency was done. Over. There were times when he could not find a way. At least 14 dead, 50 injured after a lone gunman opens fire in a theater outside. There's been a shooting at a school in Newtown. This is the Sandy Hook Elementary School. There were reports of a shooting at a nightclub in Orlando where there were... I walk into the Oval. His head is down, and he hands me the speech, and he doesn't look up at me. He was too emotional. He wanted to ban assault weapons, he wanted to limit magazine sizes, and he wanted to impose a universal background check. Well, all three of those concepts are going to be on the floor of the United States Senate for a vote, and they're all going to lose. Congress literally does nothing. That's the closest I came to feeling disgusted. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. 
And by the way, it happens on the streets of Chicago every day. Well, there you have it. A little glimpse into the presidency. The enormous decisions, whether you're talking about health care, terror, and gun control, out of control. The president, that glimpse into that window, doesn't even begin to tell the story. That little glimpse that you just saw doesn't begin to tell you of the times that the president had to walk alone. They were talking about health care and that they said, you're going to have to pull this. You got to pull it. He said, I'm not going to after I. And again, Cliff, you alluded to this. His mother was 53 years old when she died of cancer. These are motivating factors that motivated this president. Life experiences motivated President Obama to say, you know what, if I'm one term, but for four years, somebody's going to have health care. And the, the big part about the health care issue is this. And I heard this on CNN the other day. A lady came on and she said, what people don't understand, if you repeal Obamacare, people will die. Now, that's the big picture. People will die. So when you get the politics off the table, Obamacare is helping people. Helping people live. The man, I saw the interview that you're talking about, William. He said, I want to thank President Obama. He saved my life. Does that go? And Paul Ryan just stood up there with his same wax face talking about, well, we have to replace it. It's a disaster. Tell that to the people who would be in body bags without it. Tell that to them. Tell that to their families. Tell that to their children. This, it is enough of politics, man. Did you hear what I just said, Republican Party? And not all of you. But those who are bent on doing stupid things, people will die. Does that matter to you? Or do we just say, take down and tear down anything President Obama did just because it's a political move? That's it. That's beyond sick. That's the reality, though. That's the reality. That is very much the reality, is to tear down his legacy. They started talking about this a month ago. How you dismantle the legacy of a man that has brought so much goodness to our country and has brought us hope. He's dug us out of the grave. I was thinking during the when we were listening to that clip, just the fact, you know, he inherited a mess. He inherited the attacks by Al Qaeda in 9-11. He inherited the debacle with the car industry, the banks. But he turned all that around, even to the fact that he got Osama bin Laden. You know, I mean, that was one of the things he was not going to let fall off of his plate. The leader of al-Qaeda who led the terrorist attack on our country that will forever change our country, that's what he announced. So all these things, you know, these are things that if you look at it, he righted, I guess, right the ship. Well, he did. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when you look at that, what he inherited, for us to be able to sit here today and look at the past eight years of what he has done, all the causes and efforts that he's championed, all the things that he has done to make us 
a better country. I think the phrase says, make us great again. You know, it sounds like we're pretty great right now, at least sitting here today, compared to where we were. Um, that is my opinion. But I think he has done a phenomenal job. And that, that clip, what you said, you know, when he talked about him handing him a speech with his head held down. He couldn't even look at it. You can imagine the eight years, how many nights, days, he was there. And you then know, you got to think about, too, all that he accomplished in spite of the fights, in spite of uh, the, the lack of uh, support from Congress and the Senate, despite all that. He was called a liar. Look at all he has done. And I think the biggest thing that gets me and makes me really look at this president and say, wow, he was truly about the people. I will never forget Sandy Hook. Never. Now, when you when, when it's about when, when all you're trying to do is make sure automatic weapons don't get in the wrong hands. It's not about the Second Amendment. It's about it's trying to stop the unnecessary deaths. But when you talk about children, and you have these, these senators and, and, and congressmen who will fight you to ensure that, and, they, and, and to ensure that you don't put anything in place to protect our children. And it's all about the use of the Second Amendment in, in, in which no way was the president trying to take from the American people. Yes, that's your right. But we need to be smart about this. We just lost children. Children, innocent children. And look at the fight he got. But still, knowing that they were going to come back and say no, he pushed it forward. Pushed it anyway. And that's that's the sign of a leader. That's it. That is the the American people's president. On the other side of the break, we pick this back up as we continue honoring our commander-in-chief. President Barack Obama shaking and leaving an impact on the nation. We're coming right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed a rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced 
as an adult at age 17. Sentenced as an adult at age 16. Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make make a difference. difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, One in two men, one in three women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters our wives, and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration, historically, comparatively. And the other thing is, the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who are growing up through the American prison boom, 
of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioral problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. There's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And make no mistake about it, we have honored a legend tonight, our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any better than this, as we have, I'll tell you what, brought to you tonight the man, President Barack Obama. And I'll tell you, he's the president for the people, Dennis, as we have and again, we haven't even scratched the surface of what President Obama has done. And we've just been able to hopefully bring to you, our listeners, a comprehensive look at a man that is doing things and has fought some battles and climbed some mountains there from the Oval Office to get things done. And Dennis, he has proven to do that in spite of a lot of opposition in our nation's capital. Your thoughts? Again, it's all about the people, and, and that's what drove him uh, to regardless, you know. I mean, he, he was about bipartisanship. He was about stepping across lines, uh, whatever it took to make sure. Uh, again, every time I have to laugh about make America great again. I think America is great right now, and that's because of that president, uh, because of that man. I mean, he did, again, awesome. Like you said, whatever it took, and I got to fight the fight, but that's all right. I'm willing to do it. Whether or not I get uh, uh, you know, I get another. I get elected the second time. It doesn't matter. But for those four years, I'm going to take care of the well, That speaks people. volumes. I mean, that speaks volumes because I'll tell you, most folks that enter that Oval Office, now they may want to run after four years because of the pressure. Uh, and again, we talk about the the impact, the aging process uh, that takes place uh, as a result of being in that chair. And I don't care. Every president that's ever been in that chair that, that was talking one thing when he came in, but by the time he left, uh, he, he left with a little maturity, quite a bit of maturity, and uh, you know he was there. Uh, so, uh, and we talk a little bit about the campaign promises. 
how many presidents keep their promise or do their very best to do so? Barack Obama is in the company of those that came very close to doing that. And had he had uh, a Democrat, Democratic majority in both terms, there's no telling what else would have gotten done. And that's why it's important that people go out and vote and understand your vote, that Senate matters, the House of Representatives matters, your governor, your mayor matters. Because these are people, a lot of the people that, that are in office end up propelling to Senate or Congress. These are governors that run. That's why we, we cannot take lightly the importance of voting and getting the right people in that. And this election proved to be just that. Uh, and President Obama was still able uh, to do what he needed to do. But the promises kept. I think that's critically important. We're going to hear a little bit about that right now. What did President Barack Obama do? What did he say? And then what did he deliver on? Let's hear what that has to say. With profound gratitude and great humility, I accept your nomination for President of the United States. We meet at one of those defining moments, a moment when our nation is at war, our economy is in turmoil, and the American promise has been threatened once more. Tonight I say to the people of America, to Democrats and Republicans and independents across this great land, it's time for us to change America. So let me spell out exactly what that change would mean if I am president. I will cut taxes for 95% of all working families because in an economy like this, the last thing we should do is raise taxes on the middle class. There we go. Change means a tax code that doesn't reward the lobbyists who wrote it, but the American workers and small businesses who deserve it. Our government should work for us, not against us. It should help us, not hurt us. It should ensure opportunity, not just for those with the most money and influence, but for every American who's willing to work. I'll invest in early childhood education. I'll recruit an army of new teachers and pay them higher salaries and give them more support and in exchange, I'll ask for higher standards and more accountability. Now is the time to finally meet our moral obligation, to provide every child a world-class education. Now is the time to finally keep the promise of affordable, accessible health care for every single American. We are done. And now is the time to keep the promise of equal pay for an equal day's work because I want my daughters to have the exact same opportunity as your sons. 
past president, I will tap our natural gas reserves. And I'll invest in affordable, renewable sources of energy, wind power and solar power, and the next generation of biofuels. As Commander-in-Chief, I will never hesitate to defend this nation. But I will only send our troops into harm's way with a clear mission and a sacred commitment to give them the equipment they need in battle and the care and benefits they deserve when they come home. I will end this war in Iraq responsibly and finish the fight against Al-Qaeda and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Welcome home. Welcome home. Man, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm feeling quite a bit patriotic tonight here at AJC Radio as we have shined the light on our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. And I'll tell you what, everything you just heard is exactly what he had done, exactly what he has done, William. And I'll tell you, when you hear that, this is the energy. That, that allowed him to serve two terms as the president of the United States. That's right. That's right. I mean, it was uh, it was like a checklist, you know. Did this this is what we're going to do, and then once we get in office, check, check. And I think that's the way it should be. I think Absolutely. it's you know when you because a president or someone that is nominated for the presidency comes in with an agenda. That that agenda should not be led or dictated by them. It should be dictated by the people that support him or her. And put them uh, that are that are nominating them to be put in po- into office. So he saw these things as major issues that the people that are supporting him need to have addressed or done. And he said, "I'm gonna champion these causes. I'm gonna pick this up. This is our list. This is our agenda. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. Check Affordable Health Care Act. Check war. Check. You know, I mean, these are things that he." got done. Well, not only did he do that, William, you just go down the list. My Brother's Keeper Initiative, uh, speaking out about the Eric Gardner death in New York City, uh, stopping domestic violence, violence signs in the law, uh, uh, Violence Against Women Act, worked very closely with uh, Vice President Joe Biden, who was the author uh, of that, uh, talks about the criminal justice system, first president ever going into solitary confinement into prisons looking and saying, that's me. Had I not been afforded the opportunities in my life, those men are just like me. And he goes further, the DREAM Act, protecting children, did an executive order, those that came to this country, you know, their parents may have come in uh, and maybe, maybe they didn't have their uh, legalities, if you will, to be a citizen, but the kids had no saying that and all they know is america he stepped out and said you know what congress won't do nothing i'm going to do something that's right and rescued a lot of people out of a situation uh and, and i'll tell you what i don't care if you're latino if you're from any place around the globe america has always been a place of safety and refuge for those that are coming that are running from war running from i mean the most horrific situations of war around the world and they say if we can get to america 
That's the belief that America used to be. And President Obama embodied that vision. And that's why we say a very special thanks to Barack, President Barack Obama. We salute you tonight. And one last clip as President Obama takes a moment to thank those that made this journey possible. Michelle LaVon Robinson, girl of the South Side. For the, fa- for the past 25 years, you have not only been my wife and mother of my children, you have been my best friend. You took on a role you didn't ask for, and you made it your own with grace and with grit and with style and good humor. You made the White House a place that belongs to everybody. And a new generation sets its sights higher because it has you as a role model. So you have made me proud, and you have made the country proud. Malia. Sasha, under the strangest of circumstances, you have become two amazing young women. You are smart and you are beautiful, but more importantly, you are kind and you are thoughtful and you are full of passion. And you wore the burden of years in the spotlight so easily. Of all that I've done in my life, I am most proud to be your dad. To Joe Biden. kid from Scranton who became Delaware's favorite son. You were the first decision I made as a nominee and it was the best. Not just because you have been a great vice president, but because in the bargain I gained a brother. And we love you and Jill like family and your friendship has been one of the great joys of our lives. To my remarkable staff, 
for eight years and for some of you a whole lot more. I have drawn from your energy and every day I try to reflect back what you displayed, heart and character and idealism. I've watched you grow up, get married, have kids, start incredible journeys of your own. Even when times got tough and frustrating, you never let Washington get the better of you. You guarded against cynicism. The only thing that makes me prouder than all the good that we've done is the thought of all the amazing things that you are going to achieve from here. And to all of you out there, every organizer who moved to an unfamiliar town, every kind family who welcomed them in, every volunteer who knocked on doors, every young person who cast a ballot for the first time, every American who lived and breathed the hard work of change, you are the best supporters and organizers anybody could ever hope for, and I will be forever grateful. And there you have it, our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. It would take, I don't know how many shows, Lisa, to, to honor this president and to give him what is due. Um, what do we say to that? Well, Lamont, there's not a whole heck of a lot that you can say, except that he's going to be greatly, greatly missed. And... We would take any opportunity we had to to honor the work that he's done, and it will never, ever be forgotten. No, absolutely right. And uh, President Barack Obama, AJC Radio salutes you tonight, our commander-in-chief, our president that affected a nation not only today, but for generations to come. Thank you, Mr. President, for your service. Right now, we turn our attention to the IRP-6. Just Cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the IRP-6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not there anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, 
Have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question, where is justice? What you didn't know about the RP6 case is the question. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued. And there you have it, what you didn't know about the RP6. Tonight we visit a very different discussion, and that is, was the Colorado media racist or just covering the government is the question. The Colorado media still ignored the RP6 case after the Washington Post publishes article on the miscarriage of justice. On July 5th, 2016, the Washington Post published an article about former federal appeals judge H. Lee Serikin's continuing two-year efforts to help free six imprisoned African-American technology executives, one being Italian-American, who were wrongfully convicted. They are known as the IRP-6. The Washington Post discusses how Denver-based federal prosecutor Matthew Kirsch argued that the IRP solutions which built up with, with fees and judgments, $5 million in debt, was a scam company. However, H. Lee Sarakin, who immersed himself into the facts of the case and the backgrounds of the six men, said that the government presented the case on the basis that their software was a scam, when all of the proof in this case showed exactly the opposite, Cliff. That was the initial push from Matthew Curse that this company is not real. It did not exist, but there was a huge contradiction with that, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, after he, after he did his initial investigation and uh, even longer, you know, when you go to the Department of Homeland Security, you go to the New York Police Department, you go to Orange County, Florida Police Department, you go to Philly PD, and you interview all these people and they say, no, this app absolutely is real and it offered us uh, things that we could not find in any other application that was available on the market. And that is, when you look at this case, because the curse changed it from, you know, it doesn't exist to 
you know, some some type of money laundering was his was his theory. So by the time he got to court, he said, you know, that IRP Solutions got free labor to build a product, which is absolutely insane. How how do you let how as a judge do you let that go? Say okay, free labor. You you sign on the dotted line. You sign a contract with a staffing company and say, uh, you know, in the contract, I'll pay you when uh, when when we sell the product. How is that free labor? So these things, you know, and then for the media to get this story, right? And for uh, Judge Sarakin to go to be going after it and after it, saying this is a miscarriage of justice, and to not carry anything on it, that is. Uh, you know, where you have to question, okay, is the Colorado media just run by the government? Are they scared? Uh, you know, are they are they fearing for their life or something else? Or do they just coerce with the government to only do the reports that the government wants them to do? And covering on the corruption of the government. Uh, actually, Sarakin was not alone in his analysis. Sarakin said in the Huffington Post, years prior to speaking to the Washington Post, that basically the Washington Post had later reported a letter from, Den- from the Denver head of the FBI and stated that the debt with a staffing company was a matter best handled civilly. Actually, Sarakin saw that point as well. And prior to raiding IRP Solutions in 2005, the FBI received a letter from the former head of the Denver Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Gary Hilberry, who was an independent contractor with IRP, which stated the IRP had a viable product and appeared to be moving forward to acquire government contracts. Which means, Cliff, and, and William, you may chime on that, that means they knew full well that this company was a legitimate, viable company and were moving forward in selling and getting government contracts. The knowledge of that alone tells you that the motive in which Kirsch came after the IRP-6 had nothing to do with a crime because he had full knowledge that this was, and this is a former FBI agent that said this is viable. They, They are in works moving forward in getting contracts. Then how do you possibly say these men move with an intent to do anything how do you, wrong? How do you disgar- disregard that fact? That fact. This is a fact officer that was there on site yes. in the office contributing to the application. How do you just disregard what he says? It says, no, there, this, was, this was not what you're saying it is. This is a scam. This is a hoax or whatever. You know, whatever. And so, you know, and for them not to cover this, for them not to bring light to this story, the travesty. The travesty is definitely a cover-up because this is fact. This is true. It's the facts. And I, I tell you what, folks, hang on. Uh, and to be continued, what you didn't know about the RP6, I'm telling you, we're bringing a lot more to you. Who are they? Remember them as you go to bed tonight. Remember them. Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. In search for justice, we'll never stop until we bring these men home. We'll see you next time. Good night, America. I am forever grateful for what you've sacrificed to get it done. 
But above all, I will never forget who this victory truly belongs to. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. I was never the likeliest candidate for this office. We didn't start with much money or many endorsements. Our campaign was not hatched in the halls of Washington. It began in the backyards of Des Moines, in the living rooms of Concord, and the front porches of Charleston. It was built by working men and women who dug into what little savings they had to give $5, $10, $20 to the cause. It grew strength from the young people who rejected the myth of their generation's apathy, who left their homes and their families for jobs that offered little pay and less sleep. It drew strength from the not-so-young people who braved the bitter cold and scorching heat to knock on doors of perfect strangers, and from the millions of Americans who volunteered and organized and proved that more than two centuries later, a government of the people by the people and for the people has not perished from the earth. This is your victory.